I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the second to the last uh, book of the Bible. It's a very, very brief letter titled Jude. Uh, for many of the, of the letters of the New Testament that we've been considering as a church family, we've looked at the beginning and the end. We've usually skipped over the middle and Jude is so brief that we'll look at the beginning and the middle and the end uh, all in, in one message. It's actually a marvel. Uh, most letters in, in antiquity would have been about this size uh, because the, the sheer cost of getting the amount of parchment to, to go into multiple pages like Romans and Corinthians and, and other books uh, was incredibly difficult to do. And so... Uh, it was more uh, common for things to be about as brief as Drew than Jude than we are used to. We have the luxury and the abundance uh, of longer letters that we get to reflect upon. But here is a brief one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Behold, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master, and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example of undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion." These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. It hopefully is clear to you that even though this is a very, very brief uh, letter, um, uh, Jude was able to put a lot into a little. And even if you're unfamiliar uh, with the Old Testament, what Jude is able to do is for most of the people that he's writing who have a great familiarity with both the Old Testament and even uh, popular writings that were written between the period of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is he is able to take a lot of that history and to summarize it in a very brief way as he has concerns about what he's noticing in his present-day context. There's warnings that he wants to sound uh, for his people. But he introduces himself in the beginning, and he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And if he is a brother of James, that means he, like James, is a half-brother of Jesus. And so one of the brothers mentioned to his Jewish name would be Judah, um, that would have grown up and actually seen Jesus in the flesh, would have known part of his ministry, but what we get in the gospel accounts is that likely he did not become a disciple of Jesus until after the resurrection, that though there was a proximity to Jesus and a familiarity with him, we don't have an indication of many of them becoming disciples of him before the time after he rose again from the dead. And so here he, though, is able to refer to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, his older brother. Now, I'm the youngest in my family, and if you, like me, uh, have older siblings, sometimes it's not always great to be compared to your older siblings. Uh, there's a, a comedian uh, who often jokes about what it must have been like to have been one of the younger siblings of Jesus. Uh, if we deal with, at times, being compared to other people, it was, imagine if somebody else said to you, well, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Uh, he, he never messes up. And most of us would have then had a sense of inferiority if that was our, our reference for comparison. 
Um, for me, uh, three older siblings going to school, uh, and then a lot of my teachers having my siblings before me, I think it was actually uh, in gym class where I heard it the most directly, uh, because I love sports, but I'm not a very competitive person. And I enjoyed gym, but I never took it very seriously, so I would often, often goof off in gym class. And whereas my brother is also loves sports, but he's a little bit more competitive, and he loved gym class, and so he was like the shining star student. And so I can remember after another time goofing off in gym class that my teachers very directly was, why can't you be more like your brother? I was like, it's gym class. Who, who cares what happens here? But to him, he cared, and I was making his life a little more complicated because I was goofing off and not taking things seriously. Uh, but here we have scriptural testimony in multiple letters from James and Jude, along with the gospel accounts that tell us there was not immediately uh, a plausibility on their part that this uh, older brother of theirs who's now starting this ministry that crowds are coming to and they're listening to his teaching and they're coming to him for healing that they themselves were a little, I'm not, they were a little skeptical. They weren't sure at the beginning. Their bias was not, uh, sometimes we think of bias as if we are related to somebody, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but usually in our human relationships, the people that we know the most are the people that we can be the less uh, faked out by, right? Like you know your siblings well enough that we can only put on so much of a show for them when people have proximity to us, they see us in the morning, they see us in the evening, they see us on a good day and a bad day. And we can all kind of put on a show for a period of time with people we work with or coming together at church, but it's harder for that show to kind of be put on when people observe us in every area of our lives. So rather than their relationship being then a source of bias to want to believe what Jesus said, the gospel accounts Indicate No, just like normal human relationships, there wasn't an immediate uh, bias to believe. And so when they then come to a point of saying, he is who he said he was, he has done what he said he would do, he's risen again from the dead, that this then obedience of both James and Jude and their commitment to the church and the way in which they honor him is something that if you don't believe in Jesus, I would just invite you to look more into. It's one of the compelling things for us to consider looking back over time to say, here is Jude, and he willingly says that he's a servant. Literally, you could translate it, a slave of Jesus Christ. And so not just his birth name in Jesus, but his uh, name that indicates his position and authority as the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. So this very, very brief letter gives us a profound vision of Jesus as the exalted Christ. That someone who knew him in very ordinary circumstances is telling all of us he's not ordinary. He is the exalted Christ. And so he refers to him by his title and then says that all of us who have been called and beloved by God the Father are actually kept for and by him. And then when he refers back to an Old Testament story that every one of his listeners would have been familiar with in the Exodus and the people being rescued out of Egypt and then in their wilderness wanderings, he says, now I want to remind you in verse five, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, you say, wait a minute, I think I've read Exodus. Jesus is not in Exodus. God used Moses 
to help lead the people out of the land of Egypt off into the wilderness to the promised land. But here Jude is saying, yes, Moses was there, but what he's come to believe about Jesus as the exalted Christ is that it's not that he was just here a few uh, years ago among us, but he was actually there when they were rescued out of Egypt. That if we believe that who he was was actually God come down to us, then he was always there and he will always be there. And so then this letter concludes by pointing to the fact that it is that we're all waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and that we'll all be kept safely to experience the presence of his glory through Jesus Christ. So here we're reading somebody who one was initially skeptical but now uh, fully a believer pointing out to each and every one of us that Jesus is no mere person but that he is the exalted Christ, the sovereign one over time and eternity, the one from whom the nation of Israel began and the one before whom all of us will one day stand. That's a high Christology that Jude has. That's why we gather and we worship him. That's why we sing songs that point out, even here at Christmas time, not just uh, as we anticipated coming up, not just that he was born, that he came, but this is a great king. Uh, Michael will lead all of us in this song to conclude. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful, all ye nations rise and join the triumph of the skies that with the angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. This is not simply celebrating the gift of a new and precious life, though that is part of the story, it is recognizing that this new and precious life that was born 2,000 years ago is a life that even the angelic hosts worship. And so then verse 2, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, laid in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. That's what we look forward to celebrating in now the coming of the Christmas season. That this uh, young and new and fragile life born to Mary and Joseph, given the name Joshua, revealed himself in his adulthood, in his ministry, in his death and in his resurrection, that he is, in fact, the exalted Christ. And that he's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our trust. And this exalted Christ is our savior and our example. The exalted Christ is our savior and our example. And so when we uh, esteem him highly and recognize how good he is, it should hopefully encourage us to want to become more like him, to learn from how he did things, that he is not only the truth, but he's also the way. And so if he's the one that we look up to and value as the Christ and the one before whom all of us stand, then it behooves all of us to take serious, uh, to pay serious attention to how he lived his 
life, how he treated people, and what he said. That he sets the example of what good leadership is, of what a kind sovereign does. And so uh, Jude reflects that in his own desire to, one, call himself a servant. And as Jude expresses this desire for the people that he knows gathered in the church, and he says, may mercy and peace be multiplied to you, you who are the loved and the protected by Jesus. He's expressing this desire for goodness to be experienced among the people because he's looking back on the Savior and saying, as Jesus was full of mercy and peace and love for people, he's longing that that would continue because he believes Jesus not only saved them, but has set the example for what life is supposed to be like among the followers of Jesus, how we're supposed to treat one another and celebrate the salvation that we have, how all of us are supposed to be praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping ourselves in the love of God. And when he is the exalted one in our minds, it makes sense that we willingly want to follow him as an example. We're all drawn to imitate or emulate people we look up to. And so if you look up to people because they're, they're really, really smart and they can get Nobel Prizes for their research, if you really look up to them, it makes sense that you, you sort of strive to become more like them. And if you really look up to an athlete and admire what they do, it makes sense that you then try to do the things that you see them do. If you look up to people and how they live their lives and how they interact, uh, if you admire them, it makes sense that you desire to become increasingly like them. If you look at somebody and say, I mean, it's nice to meet you and happy to know you, but you don't really look up to them, you don't admire them, then you still might say, I'm just going to try to figure this out on my own and find some other source of inspiration. But if we, as the community of believers, really believe that Jesus is everything he said he was and sovereign over the world like he is, it should be evident that there's this desire not only to celebrate the salvation that he's given us, but to the follow the example that he's set for us. And so then Jude says, that's what I wanted to talk about. But I have to stop, and I have to warn you. Because there are now leaders who are coming in who don't follow his example, who don't do the things that he did. They take their power and their authority and they use it to give a license to live any kind of way, to indulge in any kind of sensuality, and they're leading people astray. And so where he ultimately wanted to talk about the goodness of the common salvation that they experience, Jude, the majority of it turns to then this very strong warning to say, listen, we know we have this exalted Christ, that he is our savior and example, and therefore we should be able to pick up when at times we're being influenced and taught to do the very things that Jesus warned us against. And our Savior, an example, he lovingly warns against sin. That just like he willingly sacrificed for us and did miracles for us, another way that he expresses his love toward us is to warn us when we're confronting danger to warn us when there are certain boundaries that should be in place that we need to pay attention to. And we wouldn't consider him loving if he removed all of those boundaries or all of those warnings. 
Uh, our family had the opportunity in 2018 to travel uh, to Israel, and as we went to various national parks there, uh, our kids were at the time five, three, and one. And uh, we had others with us helping us to keep track of them, but there were multiple points where right before the trip uh, started, our, our one-year-old was so close to walking. And so we kept, you know, setting him up and like trying to get him to walk somewhere and trying to woo him to sort of keep up with his brothers, but he just kept falling over. And so we worked on it. But then when we got uh, there and realized that several times we went to, to different places in, in national parks in Israel where there was some fencing, but then we got to other places where there was no fencing, then we became very, very thankful that we only had to keep track of two wanderers and not three. Uh, and he, for some reason, waited because he didn't sense the danger quite like we did, but we were really, really glad that he waited all the way until we were done and back home, and then he finally just started, decided that he could start uh, walking. We knew he had the ability. It was just a matter of his making up his mind along the way, but there were plenty of places where we had to simultaneously say, now look out and enjoy what we're seeing, but hold on and pay attention, and everybody has to guard somebody else and make sure everybody's accounted for because this is a cliff and we're up a couple hundred feet this is a very very narrow walkway and it's steep and our love for one another was just as much being together and enjoying one another but it was also warning each other about the real risks that were evident for all of us if we did something that wasn't wise and our loving Heavenly Father warns us of that. It's part of his love. And so as Jude is looking on what he's hearing is starting to happen among the believers, he's saying, listen, God has put certain boundaries in place for our good. And if somebody is coming in and saying, don't pay attention to that boundary, don't worry about that fence, don't look at that warning sign, I know that says yield, but you don't really have to yield, and I know that's a four-way stop, but you can just drive through it, if somebody's starting to do that, then Jude is saying, I, I have to address that because that will lead to so much harm in the lives of the people that go that direction that in his love for them, he has to say, listen, there needs to be a warning that that is not right. Our exalted Christ, who had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted, took advantage of no one manipulated nobody in a vulnerable position. And now here, leaders have come into the church who have a position of authority, and because of that, they have the potential now to harm very, very vulnerable people. And Jude is saying, don't let them do that. And protect the people that are going to be harmed. Don't think that that can just be allowed to happen and, and it's just going to be okay. And so part of even, uh, as Gaylord opened our service and talked about uh, the danger and the harm that has been done to the testimony of the gospel by so many people who had positions of authority within the church, but look the other way when the most vulnerable within the church were being harmed. There is nothing more destructive to the faith and to the, uh, to the promotion of it than when people who say we follow the exalted Christ who came and was a, a refuge and a safety for those who are the most vulnerable among him to then have people claim his name but do the exact opposite of what he did. And so 
several different examples are given of uh, saying, you know, remember the people as they were rescued out of Egypt, that just because they were rescued out of that slavery doesn't mean they were allowed to do whatever they wanted. That part of why God rescued them out of that slavery was so that they could be free, so that they would stop being mistreated. Well, then he didn't bring them in the wilderness so that they could start mistreating each other. He brought them out of that so that they could start to learn the ways of loving one another, caring for one another, that nobody would be any person's slave, that they would have certain laws and boundaries in place that would prevent anybody from becoming Pharaoh again. And then he also uh, then looks at an example from the book of Enoch and talks about angels who didn't recognize, uh, again, the boundaries that God put in place. And so everyone in his audience knew this story of angels coming down and taking advantage of vulnerable humans. And so uh, Jude is saying, in all these directions, we, it's only to our own hurt if we ignore the boundaries that God has put in place. When we remove them and think that we can get away with it, uh, the consequences are terrible. In our, day and age, it might, in our day and age, it might not be a constant reflection for us to talk about angels and their role as it relates to humanity. Uh, there are still plenty of questions that we are only increasingly facing about what we think are the boundaries that are wise to keep in place and what we think we can negotiate and remove. And most of us are facing that in the continual pace and evolution of science and technology. But part of what Jude is saying is, from ancient times to today, might does not make right. And simply because you can does not mean you should. Might does not automatically make right. And simply because you can does not mean that you or I should. And so all, all of us can now pull out a, a smartphone and have access via Google Maps to an amazing amount of technology to sort of zoom in on any part of the world that like war planners 500 years ago could never have imagined having the kind of access to. That we can look down and see so many different places on our planet. And that technology gives us power power that can be used for good or power that can be used for evil. We have commercially available weapons that we can purchase that again, 500 years ago, uh, armies uh, never thought of possibly having. And it gives us a tremendous amount of power. Power for good and a lot of power for harm. We've developed as nations today weapons that can obliterate nations. That it creates profound ethical questions for leaders of nations about when and how to use or how to respond if anybody else uses it. And again, these are different boundaries that we've crossed to say, are we supposed to have access to this kind of power? Do we trust ourselves to know how to yield this sort of influence? When it comes to our own bodies and our future. Uh, I don't love a lot of science fiction movies, but one film that was, for me, very moving was a film called Gattaca, where it's imagining in the future and genetic testing and coding this time when maybe eventually in the human race we'll be able to make sure that everybody who's born has no uh, physical abnormality. And so somebody is born 
who has one and is trying to sort of not let anybody else know that he's not like all the others. But it's, again, a boundary that if we continue to cross, it usually goes incredibly sad and poor for us. I mean, who among us would want to say, I think I know what height everybody should be and what color skin they should have and what uh, intellectual or athletic abilities they should have. Whenever humans get together and think that somehow they can decide that and figure that out, it doesn't go well. There's a profound amount of hurt and harm that happens to a lot of people who are then viewed as less than. And so those challenges will only keep on coming to us. And so to say to one another, if anybody comes in and is saying, hey, God's in control, uh, he, he doesn't care if we just experiment and we just ignore the counsel that he's given us, Jude is saying, I'm sorry, I wanted to write a much nicer letter, but I just have to sound the warning in the same way that Jesus did when he pointed out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the hypocrisy of what they were living through and how they were using their authority in the temple to take advantage of those who were vulnerable, the widows and the poor among them. And Judas saying, I have to sound the same warning. Don't take it lightly. Don't listen to anybody who is telling you not to listen to God. Don't listen to anybody who is telling you that you or I are wiser than Jesus. Don't do it. Our exalted Christ, who is our Savior and example, lovingly warns us against sin, and he continually invites us to follow him. And so the, this letter ends with this call for each and every one of us to persevere that we know as it began that he keeps us and protects us and that we also want to continue doing what he's called us to do. It says, verse 20, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. And so we want to look at the exalted Christ and worship him, acknowledge him, but also pay attention to, one, the dangers that are in front of us, but also the ordinary and everyday opportunities we have to trust him, to follow him, to keep ourselves in the love of God that he's given us, that we are at our most vulnerable when we think we have it all together and we can just trust and rely upon ourselves. I mentioned last week that uh, last Saturday was the first time to coach uh, my boys in a, in a sporting event, and it was fun to do. They were excited to win their first game, and so then yesterday we were driving to their second game, and this is kind of set up where they will play the same team five weeks in a row. And so they won the first game, and so they're all excited. And so uh, one of my kids then said on the way, oh, I know we're going to beat them. We're going to crush them again like we did last week. I was like, no, you are not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to tell anybody else on our team that. Like, what we don't need is to go into this with any sense that we have it all figured out because it just has a way of affecting you. You start to play in a different way. And then, sure enough, the team we were playing against scored more than double the points that they had scored the week before. They got a lot better from one week uh, to another. And it was good for them to see that and experience that. 
Just because something went well once doesn't mean uh, we can just sort of hit the cruise control button and never pay attention to what we have to keep on doing. Every day, we have to, as C.S. Lewis said it, every day we have to trust in God as if we had never trusted him the day before. Like we have to come to him again and say, God, this is my life. You've made me this way. You know I'm not perfect. You have mercy for all my doubts and all my fears. I want to keep on following after you. I don't want to listen to the voices that are trying to draw me away from you. And I just want to trust that everything you tell me to do is what's right, and it's because you love me. And then tomorrow you have to do the next thing, and the next day you have to do it again. To continually uh, follow after him, and then to experience uh, the goodness that as we strive to follow after him, the promise that we have is none of us have the will or the strength or will ever outdo God who is protecting and wooing and drawing us to himself. And so he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders of your exaltation that you are powerful, that you were with Moses back in Egypt rescuing a nation out of slavery, that you are with us now and all the challenges that we face. That your word is alive and well, that it, it, it convicts us because we're constantly challenged to follow other voices than your own to consider other sources of, of wisdom and insight than what you as our loving Savior would provide for us. Help us to not adore and look up to those uh, who abuse their power, who, who take advantage of the vulnerable. Father, help us to, uh, to be your sons and daughters who extend your light and goodness in this world, who continue to protect and provide for those who are in need, who continue to have mercy on those who doubt, who continue to lovely, lovingly warn uh, those who need uh, to be warned. And as we do it, to be reminded of our own failures and our own faults, the safety uh, guardrails that each and every one of us need uh, to stay in the path that you would have for us. And so, Father, would you help us to be a community that does that for each other, to love each other enough uh, to warn each other and to continually invite one another together to follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.